Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk with a Doc, the show where we bring common questions to medical experts for insight and information. I'm Allie Hines, Senior Manager of Communication at Providence in Spokane, Washington. School is starting up, and we know for parents that means getting children up to date on vaccines is probably top of mind. If you're a parent with a new kiddo, you also may be wondering about vaccines for your bundle of joy, and we're here to talk about all that today. Joining me today is Dr. Elizabeth Mead, a pediatrician with Swedish Medical Center in Seattle, Washington, to discuss the importance of pediatric immunizations and answer all your questions on what immunizations your child needs and then when they should be getting them. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Mead, and for your time. We're happy Thanks to have you. Me. Yes. Um, first, I, I'd love to know a little bit more about you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work with Providence Swedish? Sure. So I have been at Swedish for um, a little over 13 years. I'm a pediatrician in hospital medicine and newborn doctor here. And so I mostly see um, sick children who are in the hospital and then lots of healthy newborns as well and kids all the way from birth up to 18. Okay. Um, I love knowing the journey of what brought people into pediatric uh, medicine. Um, and, you know, that profession is such a special and much needed practice. What made you want to become a doctor and why did you decide the pediatric side of it? You know, I think for me, there's a couple buckets that kind of fall into that explanation. One of them is just that there are super, in, this super interesting medicine. So the variety that you see in a single day, seeing newborns, seeing 15-year-olds, seeing eight-year-olds that are sick with different things um, is pretty special and, and always keeps us on our toes and keeps us learning. I think also sort of the return on investment for pediatrics is so high compared to a lot of medicine. So I think that, you know, in this country, we practice a lot of reactive medicine and we're sort of trying to fix problems after they happen. And I love that in pediatrics, we get to be so proactive and, and really try to um, change the trajectory of someone's health from the get-go, which has such a high return on investment when we think about how we impact the course of someone's health. Absolutely. Um, and so you you see every everything from a newborn to all the way up to the age 18. Yeah, that's okay. right. So, and occasionally older kids who have um, medical issues for whom, for which they're still followed by pediatric specialists, but mostly birth to 18. Sure. And now what are the key ages for immunization? Yeah, there's a few of them. So we think about sort of the primary series of vaccines being in that first year, first you know, 18 months or so. And so these are a lot of the routine vaccines that protect against some of the deadliest diseases for infants and, and young babies and toddlers. And then around four to six years, there's another bucket where kids kind of get some boosters and get some vaccines that are up to date. And we think of those as sort of the kindergarten shots. That's what people often refer to them as. Um, and then around 10, 11, there's usually a few more. And then a couple of things that kids often get when they're going off to college. And then, of course, we have to think about a flu shot every year as well. Absolutely. And well, I think we'll talk a little bit more about those um, specifics, but I just want to like get this right off the bat. Are vaccines safe? You know, when might they not be safe on a case by case basis? Yeah, I mean, I think this is such an important question to talk about. You know, in general, they are extremely safe. And for the routine childhood vaccines that we're talking about, we really have decades and millions of patients worth of safety data and efficacy data to know that they're safe and know that they work. And so that's really important for us to keep in mind. There are very few sort of contraindications to getting different vaccines. If a child or an adult has a severe immune compromise, meaning their immune system is suppressed significantly. So maybe they're, they have cancer and they're undergoing active treatment or they have a congenital problem with their 
immune system, then we might hold off on vaccines that have a live virus in them, for example. And then if someone has experienced a significant reaction to a vaccine before, then we may not give that same vaccine again. But those are very, very rare cases. And so in the vast majority of kids and adults, the routine vaccines that we're talking about are extremely safe. And what is the risk, the community risk, if a child uh, is not vaccinated? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. We talk a lot about the community risk, and I think it's really important. But ultimately, for me as a pediatrician, the most important risk to keep in mind is just that risk to that child and that immediate family if the child is not vaccinated against some of these vaccine-preventable diseases. But certainly, it's important to keep our broader community in mind as well. And so for some things like measles, for example, we need an extremely high vaccination rate, somewhere around 95% in order to protect the folks who either can't be vaccinated for some reason or don't respond to the vaccine. And again, there are very few of those people, um, but they are some of the most vulnerable folks. And so we do have to think about keeping each other safe as well. Some people are, are wary of giving vaccines to infants and may feel like that it's too young. Can you help us understand the importance of starting vaccines early, kind of in that age group that you, that first age group that you were talking about earlier? Yeah, absolutely. You know, babies are sort of the most vulnerable to many of the diseases that we're talking about. Their immune systems are still developing. They don't have as much just reserve. You know, I think anyone who's been a parent or has been around young infants knows that they're pretty fragile in a lot of ways. And so one of the prime examples, I think, is is a disease called Hib, which is Haemophilus influenza B. And this is a disease that um, used to be rampant. So prior to a vaccine becoming available in the 80s, this was a disease that had incredibly high numbers of mortality, for example, in kids under five. So about 5% of all the kids who even got this bacteria died from it. And of the kids who survived, somewhere around 20% had permanent neurologic complications, things like deafness or seizures or other really serious issues. Pertussis is another infection that we see cropping up all the time that actually can kill babies. And that still really circulates widely in our communities. So I think that the way that the vaccines are sort of oriented and prioritized in the vaccine schedule really is thoughtful and intentional to give those vaccines early on to babies for the diseases for which they're most at risk and the diseases which have the highest sort of mortality and morbidity if the babies do get them. Vaccines are safe, they prevent illnesses. You know, on the off chance that there is a side effect, what I guess are some of those common side effects that can come up? And is there anything that kids shouldn't do, eat, drink after being vaccinated? Oh, that's a great question. So um, typically it's just some mild sort of redness or soreness at the site. Some kids will get something called a large local reaction, which almost looks like a sort of localized allergic reaction. It can get quite swollen and red and uncomfortable, but that's pretty short-lived and it goes away on its own. Depending on the vaccine, they may get a little bit of a low-grade fever. They may feel a little tired for a day or so. Generally, really not many noticeable side effects for most children. And there's really nothing we typically need to do differently except to know that they might be a little tired or they might not want to eat as much for about 24 hours afterwards. They might nap a little bit longer and have some of those kind of mild illness symptoms, that really just tells us that their immune system is responding appropriately to the vaccine. So it's a good thing. And beyond that, most kids do not have significant side effects from these routine vaccines that we're talking about. There are a few exceptions. And so we always counsel people appropriately when we're thinking about specific vaccines that might have other side effects, but those are pretty unusual. 
Are there uh, mandatory vaccines and or voluntary immunizations for kids? Yeah, so it depends on what state you're in, what county you're in, what school district you're in. But for many schools and care settings, there are vaccines that are required. So things like Hib, like we talked about, things like measles, mumps, and rubella, and some other things, DTaP, which is diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. These things that are more common in the communities that are very contagious um, and that schools really need to protect all the students from. Some kids are already back to school, some getting ready. Are that are there I you mentioned that you know it's it's different from county to state to local level. Are there immunizations that kids need before they go to school every year? Yeah. So usually there's that kind of group of vaccines, which are typically boosters around that four to six year age mark. So that's when a lot of students are starting kindergarten, for example. And so those are things like measles, mumps, and rubella, like Hib, like pneumococcal disease, which causes pneumonia in kids, that diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis vaccine that we talked about, and often varicella, which is chicken pox. And then prior to middle school age, 11 or 12, there's usually a couple of other boosters that are needed. And then we actually think about sort of kids going into college and and often they would need something like a meningitis vaccine because that's the age where we tend to see that this particular type of meningitis start to rise. And then we recommend that kids get a flu shot each year um, around the start of the school year, but typically that's not required by school districts. What happens if a kid falls behind on an immunization? Is it as simple as just bringing, you know, bringing them in and getting them caught up? Is there a certain schedule they need to follow? Yeah, great question. So it depends on the vaccine. Often it's very easy to catch kids kids up if they've fallen behind. And we saw this with COVID actually when the pandemic first started and people were having trouble or were worried about going into the doctor's office and were sort of postponing things um, that we saw some of that access decrease and people were pretty easily able to get caught up if they just talked to their doctor about sort of what they were missing. So most of the time it's pretty easy to do. You know, the biggest risk is just that that child then is at risk for developing the disease that we're talking about. Um, but districts or child care settings can also require that kids be caught up before starting school again. And so August is a great time to reach out to your child's doctor and just make sure that your child is caught up on everything that's needed so you're not scrambling as school starts trying to get those things done. Yeah, absolutely. I just did that myself. <laughs> yeah, I think all of us are in that boat. We're thinking about all the cool things, even though it feels like summer just started here. No, slow down, slow down. But nope, got to get those scheduled. You mentioned you mentioned kind of the um, the vaccines for older kids, and one of the ones I wanted to ask you about was the HPV vaccine. Mm. Um, what's that for, and when should kids receive this vaccine? Is it required? Is it recommended? It's definitely recommended. It's typically not required by schools. Um, I think the HPV vaccine is such a winner because we actually have a vaccine that prevents cancer, which honestly, when I was training in medicine, I didn't know that I would see in my lifetime. There are certain cancers, so primarily cervical cancer, but also some head and neck cancers, for example, that usually are related to infection with something called human papillomavirus. That's what HPV is. And so we have a vaccine that protects against some of the most common and also the most high risk types of this virus that, that is implicated in causing these cancers. It seems to offer them most protection if it's given somewhere around 9 to 12 years old, far before people are going to be exposed to it typically. And so that 9 to 12 year age range is what the goal is. And, and many people just opt to give it at 9 because there's really not a downside. I found it in my medical practice that most patients are sort of chomping at the bit because what other vaccine can we prevent cancer with in our children, right? But some have questions and we're always happy to answer those as well. Is that a one vaccine or is that a series? It's a series and it depends on how old you are when you get it. Um, and, and in terms of how many, usually it's two or three. 
and we recommend it for girls and boys. And again, we want to give that vaccine years before someone's ever really getting exposed to HIV so that they have that protection in place. Let's uh, talk about a different kind of illness that we know is going to come up because we're going into the fall and that usually means flu. And at least in our area, well, that's, that's not true. Nationwide, we're seeing an uptick in COVID hospitalization. So we know COVID is out there. When do you recommend kids get their flu and COVID shots this year? So flu shot is a little dependent on where people live in the country and what the sort of typical patterns are. So in Seattle, for example, we usually recommend getting the flu shot somewhere around October, so sometime before Halloween, because our flu season often tends to last sort of well into spring, so into March, April here. There are other places in the country where they start to see that uptick in September and that it only lasts until January or February. So I think great question to ask your child's doctor about depending on where you live, but in the Northwest here, typically we recommend October-ish to go ahead and get that flu vaccine. It's important to remember that if it's your child's first year getting it, they actually need two doses that are given about a month apart. So just to sort of keep that in mind before they're fully protected. And then the COVID booster question is interesting. So if your child has already had a dose of the bivalent booster, which is the booster that many of us got last year, or if you're an adult and you've already had a dose, as long as you're under 65, then you're up to date for now. So it's not something at this point where they're saying, you know, every year we need to get a booster. That may happen in the future. We do anticipate that there will be new COVID boosters with sort of the most currently predicted strains out this fall, probably September, October. And so there may be some new recommendations at that point around getting them. So I'd say stay tuned for more information. But if your child has had their primary series of COVID vaccine and they've had a dose of the bivalent vaccine, then they should be up to date for now. Can they get the flu and the COVID booster together? Is that safe? Yeah, definitely. So um, almost all vaccines are safe to give together with very few exceptions. And I think for most parents, if you're there in the office, it's much easier to get what you need than to think about staggering a whole bunch of visits to do that. I'm living in a, a, a still a COVID cloud. <laughs> but I remember, I think it was last year that we kind of had that triple threat where we had not only COVID and flu, we also had RSV circulating. Mm -hmm. Are we expecting that again this year? And if so, how can we prevent, protect ourselves from that? So vaccine? Last year was a truly terrible year for respiratory illnesses in all ages definitely in children. And here in Washington state, we were overwhelmed as most states were in the country um, with cases of very sick patients with RSV, flu, COVID and other respiratory viruses. And so for a period of time last winter, every pediatric bed in the state was full. Every pediatric ICU bed in the state was full. People were having to keep children in emergency rooms to treat them who really needed inpatient care. It was a, it was a very, very, very challenging year. And I think there's concern that we may see some of these same things again. So we may see more COVID cases. We may see a bad flu year. We may see other respiratory illnesses that are really circulating pretty rampant. RSV is typically one of the viruses that lands many patients uh, that are young in the hospital each winter. And the interesting thing about RSV is that this year there's actually a newly approved vaccine for RSV, which is an antibody vaccine. Um, that's a single dose vaccine that seems to have very good effectiveness in preventing severe disease. So keeping kids with RSV out of the hospital, out of the ICU, for example. This is brand new. So it's a it's a new vaccine that's now newly recommended. And so I think people are still sort of figuring out how this is going to roll out in hospitals and offices. But essentially, it's a one-dose vaccine that babies would get anywhere between birth and eight months that would sort of protect them for that first full winter. 
And then some high risk babies would get it the next winter as well. And this really could be a game changer. We know that many thousands of children get really sick with RSV across the country every year. Lots of kids are hospitalized. Lots of kids end up in the ICU. And it's most dangerous for those very young infants. So I think TBD, we'll see how RSV rolls out this year. But I think folks should be aware that last year was really, really awful and that we should do everything in our power to sort of stay as healthy as we can this winter. Do you have any idea if that's something that parents will need to request or is that something that you know, their pediatrician is going to offer. It's recommended to be in the included routine childhood vaccine. So as long as your pediatrician has access to it, they should be able to offer it to you. If you haven't heard anything about it and we're getting into that October, early winter, you know, late fall time frame, absolutely you can ask your child's doctor if it's available. Is there, because now that you said that, I'm thinking, okay, so we have flu, we have COVID. I already asked you the question about, is it safe to take the flu and the COVID? Is it safe? It, would it be safe to do the flu, the COVID, and the RSV vaccine together? Is there any any kind of data that shows that it's not? The data that they have so far, the recommendation from the American Academy of Pediatrics is that it can be given at the same time. Um, and so I think ultimately it's going to depend on when things are available for people. I would say not to wait. So for example, if flu shot is available for you and it's nearing the end of October and your kiddo needs the flu shot and you don't anticipate that COVID and RSV vaccines will be available for another month, I would just go ahead and get the flu so you're protected against that. But it seems to be safe and effective to give these things at the same time. Thank you so much for, for that. I'm excited to hear, you know, because as soon as you said we had an influx of, of pediatric patients in the hospital, I just thought about the hospitals that we were dealing with in Spokane, and it was just, it, it was really challenging, and it was it was sad. Um, it was sad. Hard. It was so scary for parents. You know, yeah. I'm having a baby in about a month, and I'm so grateful that these vaccines exist, and I'm so excited about the potential of the RSV vaccine, because again, those those young children and infants can get quite sick. And last year was interesting because we saw older kids getting really sick with RSV, so four or five, six-year-olds, which is really unusual. And so I think we just need to be sort of prepared for the worst and hoping for the best this winter. Absolutely. There's a lot that's been discussed in the past about vaccines and autism. Can you clear up the misinformation on this topic so parents can feel safe when getting their kids vaccinated? For sure. I mean, I could talk about this for a long time and I'll try to keep it brief, but I do think it's important to, to discuss because it is normal and it is okay and um I think it's encouraged actually for parents to have questions about any medication or vaccine or treatment that their child is receiving in the same way that we all should be advocating for our own health and making sure that we understand the information before we're deciding on something. The, there was a single paper in 1998, so quite some time ago now, um, that theorized that the MMR vaccine was somehow related to developing autism. And, and what was published in this paper was the theory that you got the MMR vaccine and then kids developed intestinal inflammation and that led to autism. And the paper was published, unfortunately, um, without really be the data being validated. And um, there were major, major problems with this particular paper. So first of all, it was a paper written about only 12 children, eight of whom had autism. Um, and autism is typically diagnosed somewhere around a year old, usually between one and two years old. That's when the signs typically start to show up. That happens to coincide with the timing of the MMR vaccine, which is usually given around 12 months for that first dose. And so what you need to do in order to sort of investigate whether one thing is causing the other is to look at rates of autism in kids who have gotten the vaccine and kids who have not gotten the vaccine. And this paper did not do that. And since that time, there have been multiple huge studies looking at overall millions of patients 
um, that have asked that exact question because we want to be absolutely sure that what we're giving to any patient in the healthcare setting is safe and effective. One of my favorite papers um, is a paper that came out of Denmark a couple of years ago that looked at half a million kids and looked at rates of autism in children who had received MMR and children who had not. And there was no difference. In fact, the group of kids who had not gotten MMR actually had a slightly higher rate of autism. So wow. we've had all these studies since that time that have asked this question over and over and over again to make certain that we're answering it correctly, that have found absolutely no causation between this vaccine and developing autism. And ultimately, um, it was determined that the person who authored this paper had falsified data, misrepresented data, and actually no, had no scientific basis. And so the claims were totally invalidated. The paper was retracted. It was deemed to be fraudulent. That doctor actually lost his license because he had falsified the information. But the, the damage was done, I think, in the sense that the word was out there and, and it caused a lot of anxiety and fear, understandably, among parents. So I think we can very safely say at this point, there is no relationship that has been found after very, very deep, deep, deep investigation over decades between vaccines and autism. Um, and I think that if parents have questions, they absolutely should talk about it with their doctor so they can receive that information and understand the decision that they're making. And you're coming at this from the angle of not only being a, a pediatrician, but also having kids yourself. And Absolutely. Yeah. I'm a pediatrician. I'm a mom. I And, and I'm having my second baby shortly. And so I, I understand that, you know, we always have to ask questions um, when we're talking about anything that's happening to our child. And I think that's totally fair. And for me, really appreciate it when parents have really thoughtful questions. And I think we need to make sure that the evidence we're basing our decisions on is real, that it's truthful, that it's based in science. And so what I can say after many years of practice and reading tons of research and package inserts and scientific papers um, is that there is no correlation between autism and vaccines. And I think it's very, very safe to give them to our children. I have two six-year-old boys and they just finished up kindergarten. They're going into first grade. Um, and, you know, when they when they were babies getting vaccines, it wasn't like a, it, it didn't impact me um, because their reactions at babies, it was a quick crying gone. You know, last year during the, during the kindergarten round, it was kind of, it was scary for them to go in because they, they knew what they were, you know, they had an idea of what was going to happen. But when I walked through the door and, and was talking to the pediatrician, she did such a great job with calming, you know, my fears for uh, about them getting stuck, not, not about what's going in, just like about getting the needle in them and made them feel more comfortable and confident with being able to, you know, get a scary needle. You know, what kind of approach would you recommend parents take before they show up to the doctor's office so that they can prepare their kiddos and not scare them? Yeah. Oh, I love this question. So it's really child dependent. It really depends on your kiddo. Some kids want to know way ahead of time what is going to happen so they can really think through it and talk through it and talk about questions. For some kids, that just increases that anxiety buildup before it happens. And so for those kids, I think it's probably better to tell them just shortly before. We don't want to surprise kids. We don't want to just spring this on them in the moment, typically. But if you have a child who tends to ruminate about this and really get worried, it's probably not your best bet to tell them a week beforehand that it's going to happen, right? Because they're just going to be thinking about it the whole time. So I think timing depends really on the child. The most important thing is, I think, is just to be honest with our kids. And so we never want to say, 
it's not going to hurt or no, you're not going to get a shot. And then they end up getting one that teaches our kids that they can't trust what we're telling them. Right. And so I think the most important thing is to be totally honest and say, you know, if your child asks, for example, am I going to get a shot at the doctor to say, gosh, I think so. If you don't know, that's fine. You can say that. But to either say, yes, you are, or I think so, or no, you're not this time. And to ask your child if they have questions or worries about it and be able to talk through those in a way that's really honest and transparent and to say, you know, yeah, it probably is going to hurt you just for a second and then it's going to be gone and then you're going to be protected from this disease for the whole year or for the rest of your life or whatever it is, depending on the vaccine. Um, and to allow your kids to have the emotions that go with that, you know, so it's okay if they're worried and scared. And I think our sort of calmness about the situation and the way that we handle it and model that for our kids really is the best way to sort of show them that it's all going to be okay and that we feel good and confident in the decision and that they can start to feel that way too as they get older. <laughs> I had to learn that one myself because I was like, it's it's okay, guys. And, and the person was looking at me like, no, don't do that. We're going to give them superpowers. They're, gonna, they're getting superpowers. And I'm like, yes, they're getting superpowers. You are going to be able to fight off all these diseases and you're going to be protected because of this. We talked about that so much with our kids with COVID, right? We had to talk about hand washing in a totally different way than yeah. I think most of us had talked to our children about. And so we did a lot of that modeling of sort of, this is the thing that actually lets you fight germs and be a superhero against germs and, and all of this language. And I think it's very, very helpful for a lot of children. Yeah, totally. Is there anything that we haven't discussed that you want parents or caregivers to know about pediatric vaccinations? You know, I think I want to reiterate the message that vaccines are safe, they're effective. We're, we're talking about vaccines for which we have decades of safety data, millions of kids who have gotten these vaccines. And one thing I think it's always important to discuss with parents is that these diseases are still around. And so we see pertussis outbreaks with regularity in this country. There was a polio outbreak in New York State last year. We see kids in our area who contract tetanus who are not vaccinated. We still see HIV. We still see measles outbreaks across the country every year. So even though the overall numbers in our country may be low, that's only because the vast majority of kids and adults are vaccinated. And so if we start to see those numbers of vaccinated individuals dip, then outbreaks typically occur very quickly. And so for many of the routine vaccines that we're talking about, these diseases are sort of right there waiting in the wings. Unfortunately, we see that with things like polio in New York, right? That we did not expect to see significant polio cases yeah. in our country anymore. And I think it just shows us that things are, are right there. And there's a reason that we still vaccinate kids and adults against these things. The second thing I would say, again, is just to say that I'm a parent also, and I understand that there is so much anxiety right now about illness in general. I think that COVID for many of us just sort of highlighted um, risks that are out there for their kids. And so I think it's always appropriate to ask questions, to feel like you are getting answers that are, again, evidence-based, that are really rooted in science and research and truthful. And the flip side is that there's so much misinformation out there that I think it's also really easy to get bad information. And so your child's doctor really is the best place to start. But I also love a couple of other resources, one of which is called healthychildren.org, and that's from the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's a website for parents that has all sorts of great parenting and child health information. And then the Vaccine Education Center, which is from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, 
is a wonderful resource and really does a deep and very unbiased dive into vaccine science and has a ton of helpful information for parents on their website. So those are two places I think it's really helpful to direct people if they want more information. Um, and again, I would say, you know, your child's doctor is always happy to have these conversations and to answer questions and to really have a bi-directional, two-way collaborative conversation with you about any of these issues. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and for giving parents out there information on questions they might want to ask their pediatrician. Thank you for joining us for your time. And thank you, all of our listeners, for joining us on Talk with a Doc. We look forward to continuing the important conversation on health and wellness with more experts from Providence in future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission, programs, and services, go to Providence.org. And please remember the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider, just like Dr. Mead told you, if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Thank you for listening. And remember at Providence, we see the light in the end.